Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. It's time to talk sports on Saturday here on ESPN 700. For the next two hours, we will cover everything from the Utes, Cougars, Aggies, RSL, and the Jazz to anything happening on the national stage. This is Sports Saturday. Moving the mic. There you go. Sorry about that. Rough start already, Bryce. This is Sports Saturday on ESPN 700. Man, it's getting hot outside, but it, it's it's a beautiful day outside here in downtown Salt Lake City. The only thing is it's just getting a little too hot. Summer is here, Bryce. Very warm. It is. Oh, there we go. It, it, it is very warm. Yeah, uh, it's going to be 117 in St. George this weekend. That's, 117. Yeah, that's too hot for me. Yeah, getting it's going to get close to the hundreds here. Thankfully, not nearly as hot as it is down south for sure. Uh, speaking of St. George, uh, Utah Tech got their new got a new uh, media rights deal. Yeah, for, got the new Fox Sports affiliate down in St. George, brand new sports radio station getting the rights there. I'm a little, I'm not, I mean, good for them. I'm a, I'm a little, it's a little bittersweet for me because I worked at the ESPN affiliate down okay. there that had there and unfortunately they lost, they did not get the rights to it. But uh, it sounds like a great sports radio station down there, the new Fox Sports affiliate. Good for Utah Tech. But uh, they also yeah. um, signed a home and home in football with Idaho. Uh, for oh, the yeah. 2029-2030 season. So we'll see if those games are even played. It's crazy how far out college football teams schedule games. Yeah. So we'll see if those games even happen. But eh, that's that's cool. Big Sky team. Yeah. Big Sky team. I mean, they're two technically same level FCS yeah. there, but Wax a little bit lower. As far as football goes. Yeah. Wax not quite as – I mean, it's, it's just getting back into football for sure. So it's not quite as uh, – on the same level in the FCS uh, realm of things as the Big Sky for sure, but yeah, good good for Utah Tech. That's a good FCS, FCS schedule there. They're playing BYU next year, this year, this year, and then Utah. They come they come up to play Utah, I believe, in twenty twenty four. So yeah. yeah, good for Utah Tech getting their football program going. But that's enough about my alma mater. Okay, <laughs> I know this is home of the Utes, and we got plenty of realignment talk to go. To go through, we're going to talk with Josh Newman at eleven about that. I know Utah fans and, and BYU fans are watching this too, but I know you they're they're feeling a little bit more secure than Utah fans are with the uh, the Big Twelve feeling a little bit more stable than the Pac twelve for sure. But we'll talk with Josh Newman at eleven about all the college football realignment ru- rumors. He's got his finger on the pulse with what I mean because there's plenty of stuff that's like not necessarily accurate. Or very, or very real as far as the rumor goes, and there's some stuff that there is something behind them, and and Josh knows about it all. We'll we'll 
We'll ask him all the questions and get exactly where Utah and the Pac-12 is right now. It seems like it's going to change by the day, Bryce, or it could. Um, and I'm and I'm curious for us to talk about how should the new Big 12 teams, including BYU, how should they be feeling about this? Because I just mentioned it feels like it's stable, but then nothing really is stable right now, Bryce. Yeah. I, I want to get into that with you later as well. Um, and then uh, 10.30 – before we before we talk to Josh at ten thirty, we're going to talk some RSL with the uh, RSL radio color analyst Jay Nolly. You hear him here on ESPN seven hundred with the voice of, of RSL, uh, Bill Riley, uh, calling the games, and he will be on the call tonight. RSL back in action, going for the Rocky Mountain Cup against the Colorado Rapids uh, at the Riot, seven o'clock pregame, eight o'clock kick. If there are already tickets left, you can go to RSL.com for those. May not be. I mean, they've been selling out every home game, and they still haven't lost a home match this year. They're still unbeaten at home. They've had a couple of draws, but no losses. So see if they can keep it up this year. They should be able to. Colorado has struggled this year. They did They did draw with them uh, at the beginning of the season, though. So we'll see. We'll see how things go tonight. I would expect to win, but we'll talk with uh, Jay Nolly to see what he thinks about tonight's match. But first, I want to get into Jazz offseason, Bryce. Uh, I was I was out last week. You and Sammy Mora got to have all the fun breaking down the Rudy Gobert trade and all the <laughs> realignment rumors because last week, the end of last week was when we had USC and UCLA uh, decide to join the Big Ten in a couple years. And started all this chaos. But going back to Jazz offseason, we had the Rudy Gobert trade. Uh, since I, I wasn't here, I wasn't able to hear your reaction to it. What? How do you feel about the trade? He's officially been announced with uh, with the Minnesota Timberwolves this earlier this week. Jazz get Malik Beasley, a, a pretty good role player. Patrick Beverly, we all know who he is. Leandro Bolmero, uh, very an unknown commodity at this point, but a lot of people like him. Uh, a lot of potential with him. Walker Kessler, really good uh, year with Auburn and first-round draft pick this year. And Jared Vanderbilt, honestly, might be the best haul out of all of this besides all the first-round picks. four un- or Three unprotected first-round picks, a pick swap that's unprotected, and then a protected first-round pick. What? How do you feel about the haul? I feel like, and I said this last week as well, but I feel like this was a good trade for the Utah Jazz. And at first, when you saw it, a lot of people um, thought that the trade with uh, Minnesota, Minnesota kind of swindled Utah into this trade. But as more of the information came out um, later, I think that, yeah, this is a haul for Rudy Gobert and that the Jazz, um, they got a lot for him. And I'm actually interested to see what uh, Brooklyn gets for Kevin Durant. Um, when when he gets traded, or if he gets traded at this point, um, yeah, that's so, completely up in the air too. Yeah, yeah. So I personally think that the Jazz did fine on this trade. I think that um, they got back a lot for Rudy Gobert, and we were talking with Sarah Todd last week, and I asked her, "Do you think the Jazz won or lost this trade?" And she was like, "Well, it's it's kind of hard to tell." Um, in terms of winning or losing because you don't know what you're going to get in a lot of those picks. Um, a lot of what they got isn't 
doesn't make you better right now, but maybe uh, down the road they can turn out um, to be you know a really really good picks for you as well. Um, so as far as Minnesota goes, Minnesota gets better right now, but the Jazz it seems like further down the road um, is is what they're they're pushing for with this trade now. What they could do is they could take all of these assets and flip them for something else or somebody else and immediately become better. But uh, we'll have to see if if that's the case. Yeah, it was interest. It was interesting. Almost immediately after the Gobert trade went down, we saw Sarah Todd and the other and our other local jazz writers and some national writers say the Jazz are not done trading. Yeah, and then it it, it feels like it's been forever since the trade went down. It's been about only been about nine days. Um, or nine ten days here, but uh, they still haven't made any any more trades. So, assuming that their sources are correct, assuming that they have the informa- the accurate information, which they which they do, we have no reason not to trust them on that. Um, th- we probably won't know. I mean, another reason why this is hard to uh, it's hard to gauge who won this trade is because we don't know what the Jazz roster is going to look like at opening day yet, or at the beginning of uh, the season yet. Who knows if Walker Kessler is going to be on this team? Who knows if Jared – I mean, I feel like Jared Vanderbilt probably is, but who knows if Patrick Beverly is going to be on this team? Who knows if Malik Beasley is going to be on this team? Who knows how many of the six uh, first-round picks that the Jazz have gotten, and if you include the Royce O'Neal one, that they've gotten – since the start of free agency ten, nine ten days ago, will be part will be in the Jazz uh, draft capital by the start of the season. So um, I think we're very we're very much in wait and see mode to see before we can really gauge how good this off season has been for the Jazz. I think so far under the circumstances, it's been a really good off season. They went from having no draft capital to maybe the most in the league or, or among the most in the league. It, it, all teams, not including the Oklahoma City Thunder, of course. <laughs> yeah. um, and I know lots of people were kind of down on, well, these picks are going to be on the in the 20s. I'm not so sure about that, about every one of these picks, because we got to see if Carl Anthony Towns can guard on the perimeter. Exactly. If he can't do that, and they have to stagger Rudy and Towns, and, and they can't play both of them in the fourth quarter, Minnesota's not going to be nearly as good as they anticipated they would be by pairing Towns and Gobert together. Exactly. Uh, and this could be, you know, by 2025, by that second uh, first-round pick from the T-Wolves, that one could end up being a lottery pick. Yeah. For all we know. And, I, and 2026, 2027, I mean, I'm almost, I'm almost expecting 2027 to maybe be a lottery pick uh, because – I'm just not so sure about the fit there in Minnesota. And this, anyway, so the, we saw – and the other analogy here is uh, James Harden. The Houston Rockets didn't – or the, the Nets didn't think that giving up four unprotected picks for James Harden less than two years ago was going to backfire them, on them so soon. But now with Kevin Durant asking out, with Harden already gone, with Kyrie probably on his way out, I mean, the Rockets, that's actually looks like a really good haul for James Harden. Right. Those picks might end up being 
in the lottery, similar to that, it might end up that trade might end up being another one that the Nets regret, like the KG and Paul Pierce trade, where it's like, crap, we just lost our our draft capital for nothing again. So, I don't think we need to rule. I don't think we need to rule out the fact that these picks may may end up being lottery picks, or at least the majority of these may end up being lottery picks sooner rather than later and and if that's the case i mean the jazz then got a really good haul for rudy gobert yeah i totally agree with you especially in uh this day and age in the nba with teams changing so often and also with the the short leash that it seems like owners and and front office um staff have with uh with their stars and even the players right we've talked about this before with the 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 uh player empowerment that's happened in the NBA where we Carl Anthony Towns might not be even in Minnesota. Yeah, who knows? Um, Maybe he asked for a trade if exactly. this, if they have a disappointing first couple years with Rudy Gobert. Maybe he goes, you know what? You guys clearly want Rudy more than I do. I want, I want to get out of here. So yeah. Everything is still way up in the air, even though right now it feels like Minnesota looks like another – rising power in the west you just never know especially when they're when they're going as much against the grain as they're going by by playing two centers exactly so to look at it right now and to try and to project that into the future you kind of just have to have that patience to um and then reevaluate as you go down the road to be able to tell was this a good trade for the utah jazz and i just have a feeling that it is it is going to be a good trade um Look, I'm not sold that there weren't problems between Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell. Um, If it was like a recurring headline that continued to happen over and over, obviously it was coming from somewhere, right? Um, And I'm not saying that like Rudy was the one to go, but we knew leading up to this offseason, if they weren't going to be able to get something done in the season – and make a deep run in the playoffs, someone was leaving. Yeah. Right? Unfortunately, that felt like it was the case. And I think the biggest shock, if we go back to our expectations before the start of this past season, is Quinn Snyder no longer being the coach. Yep. Like, I think by the end of the season, that wasn't quite as a surprise. We were like, it looks like, okay, at least one of the three pillars, whether and I'm talking Quinn, Rudy, or Donovan are out, if not multiple Turns out it's multiple. Um, but at the beginning of the season, I don't think anyone, if you asked anyone who knew who was around this team, whether fan, media, whoever, uh, people in the organization, if you'd have told them, hey, Quinn's going to resign after this season, I think everyone would be like, no way. There's no way that that would happen. Now, Rudy or Donovan going, okay, and Quinn still being the head coach, okay, yeah, that actually – that's that, – I actually expect that to happen is what you might have heard from a lot of people. But Quinn leaving, um, it completely – I mean, the Jazz feel like they're completely starting over even though they're, they're keeping Donovan Mitchell. And everything coming out of there is that we expect and we want to compete. Um, we want to be in the playoffs and compete and continue to compete for championships uh, starting next season. It, it just feels like brand-new head coach – your uh, your longest tenured All Star in Rudy Gobert, a guy who's who really truly has been a pillar for the organization and for almost his entire time with the Jazz, gone, 
I almost at this point, without knowing what they're going to do the rest of this off season and how everything else is going to turn out, I don't know that I would expect the Jazz to be at the top of the Western Conference this year. Yeah. Um. Now that that's a good way to segue to what do the Jazz do from here, Bryce? Uh, we saw again same day Rudy got traded, reports started coming out. Um, about the Jazz being interested in DeAndre Ayton. Then nothing's happened. <laughs> now, lots of teams are interested in DeAndre Ayton, right? Um, so just because it's coming out that the Jazz specifically are one of those teams, I wouldn't, ex- I wouldn't necessarily expect that the Jazz are the ones that end up landing him, but they've got a good case to do that. Uh, I think, honestly, it feels like with Kevin Durant naming Phoenix as one of his destinations – it feels like if the Jazz were to land Aiton, they'd have to be a third or fourth team in that Kevin Durant deal, right? Yeah, I would think so. Um, it would also have to be um, a sign-in trade with um, with the Suns as well because the Jazz don't have enough cap space. Yeah. Um, so it, with that being said, yeah, I think if they were able to get into a three-way trade, um, maybe even a four-way trade. We've seen it before in the NBA. Um, that's the way that the Utah Jazz would be able to get DeAndre Ayton. And I think that's that would be a great pickup for the Jazz. I don't know about you, but DeAndre Ayton coming to Utah, pairing him with Donovan Mitchell. Um, yeah, I know the Suns are looking to move away from him. And sometimes there's – I don't know. The Suns – we're a lot like the Utah Jazz, where they're on top of the Western Conference, right? And then they can't do anything in the playoffs. And I know Chris Paul was talking about seven-game series after the the, the last uh, game there, and he was complaining about having seven-game series. I don't even know. But obviously um, there are some players that just don't work under certain schemes. And maybe DeAndre Ayton, like if the Suns are ready to move on from him, Maybe it was just a scheme fit problem issue. I didn't watch a lot of Suns basketball, so I'm not 100% sure. Um, and maybe he, a new greener pasture is, is the right thing to you know rejuvenate yeah. his career. Yeah, maybe Not that you, it was a terrible player anyway. Like He's one of right. the better players in the NBA. Maybe a new environment, pairing him up, pairing him up with, a, with a young star. I mean, he was paired up with a young star in, in Devin Booker in Phoenix, but pairing him up with a, with another with a different young star, maybe that helps him uh, unlock what we saw from him in Phoenix the last couple of years, the really effective play that we saw from him. Help, maybe that helps him uh, be in a good headspace to continue that, right? Um, I think that would be... I think under the circumstances, that would be a fantastic move for the Utah Jazz if they can bring in a DeAndre Ayton. He's a guy who, obviously not the rim protector that Rudy Gobert is. Nobody in the league is. But he's a good rim protector. He's got size to to uh, divert um, shots and, and uh, make guys adjust shots and and block shots as well but he also offensively what he he's also what what he's what he's not or what Rudy Gobert isn't that DeAndre Ayton is offensively is that he can punish the smaller players he can post and and score in the post he can hit about an 18 to 20 foot jumper as well uh, with some consistency 
He's a he's a better free throw shooter. So offensively, what you lose defensively is really not all that much compared to Rudy Gobert when you're talking about DeAndre Ayton. And then you really gain it back offensively uh, with Ayton. So I think it would be a fantastic move. And the Jazz, if they could bring in DeAndre Ayton, with, coupled with all the changes they've made, as long as they could keep – a couple of these wings that they brought in um they might actually end up having a better roster next year than they had going in to this season yeah uh, with with Aiden and when you look at it when push came to shove with the Utah Jazz in the in the past uh few years in the playoffs what happened for what happened where um they struggled the most is when they went cold from beyond the three-point line mm-hmm. right in the playoffs and there was nobody in the post that they could go to that can score frequently, right? Rudy Gobert just wasn't that guy on offense. And if you can get a guy like DeAndre Ayton where you can get it into the post, that makes you more dynamic on offense, and it obviously makes you a harder team to beat. So DeAndre Ayton would be a great addition, especially on the offensive side for the Utah Jazz. Yeah, and if they can – and I think they do intend on – keeping Jared Vanderbilt I don't think he's one of the guy one of the pieces they're willing to part with in the subsequent trades that yeah. were that are being reported that probably will happen um that's a guy who can be a small ball five for the Jazz too a much better much better than Rudy Gay played at that last year unfortunately and then they still have another year with Rudy Gay maybe going into a season where he's healthy and start starting a season healthy, maybe that gives him, and with the with a new coach, fresh perspective, and all that, maybe that helps him be an effective rotation player, the guy that they thought they brought in last year. Um, so I haven't completely given up hope on on Rudy yeah. Gay, uh, even though it was not a good season for him last year. So if if he can get to where he's an effective rotation player, and you can play minutes with Vanderbilt. As a it was as a small ball five, I mean that could and you know coupled with bringing in DeAndre Ayton in a trade, I actually would be pretty optimistic about the Jazz' chances to make a deep playoff run next season. Now, do they feel like they are dark horse title contenders like they did the last couple of years? No, but the Mavs didn't either. And the Mavs got all the way to the Western Conference Finals. This almost feels like the Jazz could be, you know, if they're able to bring in Aiton and these other things work out with Vanderbilt and Gay and and some of these other guys and able to bring in, able to shore up the perimeter defense even more, this feels like they could be one of those surprise teams that makes a deep playoff run um, if all that falls into place. But that's a lot to (laughs) to ask to fall into place and everything is still so up in the air but I, I would like the Aiton addition if they if they're able to make it if they're able to make it happen it feels like Aiton's not going anywhere until Durant until the Durant domino falls though because they're going to do everything they can to get Durant obviously because he named them everyone in the league's going to try to get Durant but the teams that he named Miami and Phoenix in particular they're going to do everything they can to get Durant and they're going to keep their pieces that they could use in those trades before, before or so that they could use them in in a, in that kind of a trade they're not they're not going to let them go before they know 
that that's definitely not a possibility. So I wouldn't expect any any news on the Aiton front until we have news about Kevin Durant. And hopefully the Jazz are that team that can uh, be a third or fourth team in that trade that comes away with DeAndre Ayton. I think that would be I think they would be a really good offseason for the Jazz if they're able to do that, especially if they don't have to give up more than maybe one or two of the picks that they've acquired this offseason. So um, there's still a chance this could turn out really well. Right now it feels like a possible lottery team. Uh, but there's a chance they could turn the, they could come out of here with with a real contender again. So uh, that would be really exciting. Setting that aside, there are some still there are still some options on the free agent front the Jazz could go after if they have to vie for that option. I would not expect too much from the Jazz this year. Right. There's it's kind of slim pickings, Bryce. We've got a list here um, that we've come up with of, of decent 3 and D wings, or at least D wings available. Um, we got TLC, Tim, Timothy Luau Cabarro, um, a guy who's played sparingly in his first couple of years in the league, but he's shown flashes of, of brilliance, if you will. He's a guy, he's a, he's a decent three-point shooter. He's a, he's a plus defender, and he's still really young. So that's a guy the Jazz could continue to develop um, and would really help sure up the perimeter defense. Rodney Magruder's another guy. He's around 30, but he's a he's a he's one of the better 3 and D wings in the league. You haven't heard of him because he's been on the Detroit Pistons. <laughs> you know, yeah, exactly. Right? Um, but I think those would be at the top of my wish list if I'm the Jazz because, number one, they'd be relatively cheap, and two, they would really sure up the, the perimeter defense and keep – uh, it would allow them to keep their offensive identity, which is pace and space and shoot a lot of threes. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. Um, and anytime you can get, you can get someone to come in on, you know, a minimum contract or at least a lower contract, that's big time, especially when you're up against the cap um, like you are. Um, and a couple other guys that we've kind of mentioned as well as like Andre Iguodala, he is getting a little bit older. Um Turning towards retirement. But a really good veteran championship You can probably get him for the veterans minimum, bring him in on that. Um, Feels like if he if he's not retiring, he's going back to the Warriors because why wouldn't you? Yeah. <laughs> but um, he's still technically available. Right. Um, one other guy that I, I liked on the list um, was P.J. Dozier. Now, last year he only played 18 games, so that's kind of uh, something that you look – Four, right it's kind of a red flag there um but if you could bring him in he'd probably be another cheap guy um to, to bring you in take a flyer on and and hope that it hope that you can get some effective minutes from and and if you don't it's just a one-year minimum contract yeah really low risk for sure but how about this a guy that the jazz just waved a week ago why not bring back Juancho Hernan Gomez who you brought in probably halfway through the year last year, and he actually gave you really good minutes. Yeah, he did. He he kind of re-energized the Jazz bench down the stretch um, when they were when they were blowing all those leads and things were not looking good, particularly off the bench. He was a guy that kind of re-energized things and was one of the few bright spots in the off the bench in the playoffs as yep. well. So and they bring seemed, him back on a minimum deal. Exactly. He seemed like more of a cap casualty than – um, like you're just not uh, playing up to par enough for this team. 
Um, so if you can bring him back on a less contract, I know he probably wouldn't want to take that. Um, but if he does want to stay in Utah, sometimes you know you have to. There's give and take there. So if the Jazz can bring him back, I think Juancho Hernan Gomez can give the Jazz some good time next year as well. And he'd be a guy who could be a small ball five as well, um, which which would be huge if they're not able to if they're not able to bring in a, an established veteran via trade. They're going to need centers, um, yeah. whether it's small ball guys who can play in small ball or just bigger guys and, and you love those big long wings out there he's got a seven foot wingspan yeah and that really helps on the defensive side of the ball for sure and that speaking of centers uh again that's going to be a glaring hole if they're not able to get a deandre ayton or another established veteran uh rim protector so that's even more slim yeah. <laughs> in the free agent market you could bring back hassan whiteside that would probably only take a minimum deal but do you want him to be your starting center? He was fine as the backup, I think. But do you want him to be the starter? I don't know. Probably not. Um, but anyway, he he had a good year as the backup, and it would only take a minimum contract probably. Tristan Thompson's another guy that, that can be had, and I think you could – I I think that's one where you could say, hey, we're starting Walker Kessler. You, you're going to come off the bench. I think that's one you could get away with a little bit more than Hassan Whiteside in that, um, in that scenario. And then after that, it's uh, it's really – I mean, you got Montrez Harrell, but that's going to take the full MLE at least because yeah, that guy's a borderline all-star. But um, that would be a great addition. Yeah, he would be fantastic. <laughs> I just don't know how realistic that is. And then you got, uh, then you got guys who barely played, uh, former Utah State Aggie N- Namias Keita. Um, I think – I wouldn't hate that uh, yeah. as a third – Second or third string, you got you'd have three really unproven young green centers, and you could the Jazz could just have their pick as to who they want to be as the future. Walker Kessler's got a lot of potential. I think Cato would still have some potential in development as a Buki, um, if he can stay healthy, has some potential as well. And then you got the guy they got playing for the summer league right now, uh, former Illinois uh, giant Kofi Coburn. Um, he was an undrafted free agent, Jazzer. He's on an Exhibit 10 deal for the Jazz. That's a guy that they could sign to a two-way, and, and he could possibly, if he develops quickly, get into the main, ro- get into the main um, roster and maybe get a, quickly get a standard contract if they need to fill those holes. So if they can get – just to – put a bow on all this best case scenarios if is if they can bring in deandre ayton if not there's not too much left on the free agent market to try to fill in the rest of the roster if you're trying to contend still if you're the jazz um so it feels like no ayton no and no established star at established veteran at center Jazz may not be they they could very well not be a playoff team next year. That's that's really how things are. And then we'll see how things go on the Donovan Mitchell front um next offseason if that's the case. Yeah. Uh, that that opens things up to hey, how much longer is Donovan Mitchell going to stay here? So, uh interesting stuff going on with the Jazz. Um I I'm optimistic about the future. I'm just not so optimistic about next season, I'll say as far as them contending where are you landing on all this no i would agree with that um and my biggest thing is with 
the way that the roster is, I've, I'm curious to know what this the leash, the um, front office and the Utah the organization as a whole will give Will Hardy as he begins his tenure as Utah Jazz head coach. Yeah, um, you got to think it'd be a little bit longer as they get this rebuild kind of started and, and going through. Um, but if they do land a big time name, you got to think that the leash becomes shorter, right? Yeah. The better this roster is, the more they're going to be expected to perform. And um, just right now, I think that he's going to have a little bit longer of a leash, considering what he's working with. Um, but hopefully, yeah, I don't know. It's it's kind of it's something that's interesting to follow, but we'll have to see what happens in the future. Yeah, and we'll we'll get the jazz beat writers on the show to talk about it as things come up in the in the coming weeks as well. We do have to head to a break though. We're over time. We gotta welcome in uh, Jay Nolly next segment. RSL analysts, they're back at the riot tonight against Colorado. Will they clinch another Rocky Mountain Cup title? RSL analyst, former MLS keeper Jay Nolly joins us next to preview the match. This is Sports Saturday with Bryce Larson and James Peterson on Utah's number one sports talk, ESPN 700. Back to Sports Saturday. ESPN 700, James Peterson here, Bryce Larson over there, Olivia Benyon behind the glass, uh, bringing us back with some red hot chili peppers, appreciate Olivia all she does, uh, doing a great job for us, uh, excited to bring on our next guest Bryce, we've got Jay Nolly, RSL color analyst, alongside the voice of RSL, Bill Riley, for every single game here on the radio side. You'll hear him tonight as RSL's back against Colorado. Pre-game at 7, kick at 8, right here on ESPN 700. Uh, let's welcome him in. Let's welcome him in. Uh, Jay, how's it going? Morning, guys. How you doing? Doing great. Appreciate you coming on with us, talking RSL. Uh, to start out, I wanted to talk about RSL's been a great story this season, maybe the best story in the league, especially if you take – all the injuries into account, but we're on the downhill slope of the season. Playoffs are still three months away, but those are going to fly right by. Uh, and before we know it, we're going to be—it's going to be end of September and playoffs knocking on the door. So, setting injuries aside, what are some concerns you have about RSL as you think about whether or not they can make another deep playoff run? Well, I think we saw a little bit in Minnesota, um, kind of the tentativeness. Sorry. Scrambled on that one. Uh, going forward, uh, creating creating opportunities was a uh, was a big struggle against against Minnesota. Um, tried to be be a little bit more defensive in in kind of that four four two formation, and it, and it really struggled until they uh, kind of broke away from that in the second half. And I think that's that's one of the big pieces. You know, Jefferson Savarino is is you know now in. He's ninety minutes, and that's a big creative piece. Um, Anderson Julio definitely continues to to shine when he comes off the bench uh I, i'll be intrigued to see if he can eclipse into the starting lineup i think he will uh, i need a little bit more from sergio cordova and rubio rubin with bobby wood injured so i think that attacking uh presence going forward um the middle of the park pablo Luis and uh scott caldwell i don't think worked out as well in minnesota so jasper luffelson came in at halftime and you saw that spark uh, in the middle of the park. So I think just getting forward is going to be a big piece. Still still really looking for that number six, number 10 uh, to, to own those spots with Demir Krylik out. 
Um, so I think those are some of the pieces that RSL really needs to, to work on going forward. Uh, you know, with Justin Glad out with a hamstring, it has, it has hurt a little bit with that connection with Silva. Um, but I think when they get that back, they'll, they'll solidify their back four with Zach McMath, who's playing really well. And I think defensively, they're going to continue to be strong. Yeah, uh, recently, um, Diego Luna has shined kind of with the U-20 national team. Uh, he came over from the El Paso locomotive. Um, what's the expectation for Diego Luna going forward? And are we going to be able to see more of him with RSL in the future? Yeah, expect to see Diego on the bench tonight. Uh, and this is a really good opportunity for him, uh, you know, with some injuries and, and you know, um, really Johnny Menendez not being able to kind of own either that left side, left or right side position or that 10 spot. Uh, it's given, it's going to give Diego Luna some, some opportunity to get in and get some minutes. And, you know, we saw with the youth national team, uh, he played really well. Uh, he's a creative presence in the center. He says he loves that number 10 position. And that's kind of what RSL is looking for right now. Uh, so having a young kid um, who really didn't fit kind of the body type from, from everything Elliot Fall and, and RSL has said for MLS to really go after him. Um, but I think RSL has got a, a steal in Diego Luna with his creative ability, his youth, uh, and, and really the kid's drive of just wanting to be one of the best number 10s out there. Uh, so I'm pretty excited to, to see more of him. Um, cause I think it'll be really fun with, with Demir out kind of indefinitely. Uh, if you're able to slide him into that 10 role with Jefferson Savarino and a couple people running off of him, uh, it could be fun to watch. I wanted to transition to, uh, the season we've seen from Zach McMath, your goalkeeper by trade, Jay. Um, he's been so good. He came on the Bill Riley show a couple weeks ago, said this is the best he's played in his career. What do you make of his season so far? Yeah, Zach's a, a mentally tough uh, goalkeeper. I, I got a ton of respect for him. Um, you know, he, he came out of college as a, a number one, um, you know, for Philadelphia. Uh, you know, and he's, he's played on a few clubs. When he came over to Colorado, he was playing some of the best soccer he'd ever played. And then Colorado acquired Tim Howard. So there's been multiple times where he's, um, you know, been a number one, gone back to another number two, came over to Salt Lake to be behind. David Ochoa, um, you know, David Ochoa with injuries and being away from the team right now, he, he's, he's really been able to own that number one position. And, and I agree. I think he, he's in the discussion for uh, an MLS all-star position this year. I think he's having some of the, I think he's playing some of the best soccer he's ever played. And a lot of it's due to his uh, communication and then just his ability to not get too high and not get too low, just stay, steady Eddie and make some big time saves, keep RSL in the game. Uh, and I think he's won RSL some points this year to keep them in that top three position. Uh, so I just give him a ton of credit, a ton of respect, uh, carrying this team along and, and, and definitely in an informal leadership in the clubhouse and on the field. Hey, you played a long time in MLS, Jay. So I'm sure you were in, at some point you found yourself in, in similar position that Zach was in where, Maybe at, the, maybe at the beginning of training camp, you weren't penciled in to be number one. You were you're penciled in as, as a backup, but then injuries happen, and you and all of a sudden you're thrust to the to the forefront. What's that like, and how just how hard has it been for uh, Zach McMath to do what he's done, given just the uncertainty about his role going into this season? Yeah, and and with any you know goalkeeper or or a 
are guys who, who don't get a lot of minutes. You, you, you hear a lot about you, you want to train and prepare uh, for, for, being a, for being ready to play. And a lot of times some people are not ready when that moment comes because, you know, an injury happens and, and their number gets called and they got to run out uh, and they're not ready. Zach's one of the players where I felt like no matter what, either he, winning the starting position in, in training camp um, or if, if an injury happened with David Ochoa, he was ready to play. Uh, I had a, a similar uh, experience with Joe Cannon in, in Vancouver where he was, um, he was signed and he was going to be the number one. Uh, and I ended up edging him out in, in training camp and getting that one position. Um, and we had a great, you know, for an expansion team, good start to the season considering. Uh, but the coach gets fired and changes happen. And so you have to, you know, prepare yourself for, for those changes to, to go back to the bench um, because they're spending a lot of money on, on some players and they need them to get minutes. And uh, some, uh, unfortunately, sometimes you're, you're part of that. So you definitely, when you, when you change and go back to the bench, you've got to, you, if you show any lapse in mental toughness in training, coaches will see it. And a lot of times players get traded at the end of the year because they can't recover from it. Jay, uh, I wanted to ask you about the new ownership um, with RSL. Uh, how, how much credit do you think should be given to them for this kind of revival of Real Salt Lake? Do you think that it's it's all been the new ownership, or do you think it's kind of been a mixture of a deep playoff run that nobody thought that they could go through last season, um, and it kind of they built off of that? Do you think it's uh, how Pablo kind of runs his squad? Where would you place um, the uh, responsibility on the the revival of Real Salt Lake? Yeah, I think you said some of it right there. You know, the Blitzer Group has been a huge uh, element of of kind of this revitalization for for RSL, uh, the ability that they bring in with the, the European clubs that they, they also own, you know, the opportunity for players to kind of become two-way players, go to Europe or Europe, come to here. Uh, but also the personnel with, with RSL, you know, you have Elliot Fall, um, who is just really good at, at what he does, you know, and Tony Beltran as the assistant, uh, but also Pablo in that mentality with his coaching group. So I think if you look at it from the ownership uh, through the clubhouse into, into the, the team, um, there's really good chemistry about what they want to do moving forward. And I think the fans are feeling that as well. You know, you're seeing the paint in the, in the stadium, the flags, uh, you know, eight consecutive sellouts. It, it's all coming together. And, and when that happens, it puts you third in, in the West. You know, the RSL has been struggling with injuries, formation. They've been changing out throughout uh, not getting probably some of the players they wanted to in in, in um, the transfer windows, but they've still stayed together as a group. They've gotten some really good results. They've stolen some points, uh, and even some of the games they lost in Vancouver and Minnesota, they should have left with probably four points from those games. So the, still opportunity left on the table, but I think it's a combination that helps start with the Blitzer group taking over. Uh, but then just the personnel through everybody else has really helped carry this team and keep everybody together. Talking with Jay Nolly, RSL analyst. Uh, he'll be on the call with uh, Bill Riley tonight as RSL takes on Colorado as they go for a another Rocky Mountain Cup. 
uh, tonight at Rio Tinto Stadium. Pre-game at 7, kick at 8. Jay, just a couple more questions for you, then we'll set you loose. Uh, one, give us a scouting report on uh, the Rapids tonight. Your Rapids, right? Growing up in Denver area, what do you expect from tonight's match? Yeah, you, I mean, you said it. I, I grew up just outside Denver in Littleton, and when I was in college, I got to train with the Rapids um, during the summer uh, when Kyle Beckerman, Seth Trembley, uh, Pablo Maserani, they were all all there, so it was a lot of fun. Actually, um, Valderrama was there one of the summers I got to train. So I have a deep connection with them, but I, I do root for RSL because <laughs> uh, I played for them, and uh, I get to work with Bill and, and the ESPN crew. So, uh, but this is a team, uh, I don't know if you remember last year, uh, they were first in the West at the end of the season, clips the 60 point barrier, getting 61 points. Uh, so it looked like with Robin Frazier, the head coach, former RSL assistant, that this team was heading in the right direction, but they started this year, uh, struggling a little bit. Uh, I think they're in 12th place right now. Um, they've just had two big trades. Uh, Mark Anthony K just got traded to Toronto. Uh, which was a little bit of a surprise to me. He is a Canadian international, but he had just come over from LAFC. Uh, they get uh, a lot of money in return for him and some international spots. So uh, another big move for them. They also traded away uh, Shin Yashiki uh, to Charlotte this year. Uh, so another wide player that, that was um, a, a huge piece for them going forward. But they did pick up uh, Jossi Zardes from, from Columbus. So uh, Rubi, uh, Diego Rubio and Jesse Zardes, uh, eight goals between them. Diego's got seven. Uh, they're they're going to be a big piece who's going forward. I think Colorado does a very, very good job uh, getting forward. Um, defensively, they've been strong. Abubakar, um, one of the better center backs in the league, uh, but but it's really their attack. Uh, but if they can't get anything created, they, they do let chances on them. And so if RSL can be clinical when they get into the final third and, and finish their chances, I think this is a three point match for RSL at home. Uh, it is a good Colorado team, but they just have been struggling. Um, zero wins in their last four games. I think three losses and a draw. So it's a team that, that's going to be kind of limping in, uh, coming off a couple trades, uh, and trying to get a few players ramped up. But overall, I think RSL, if they, uh, if they come and they have an attacking mindset from the start, I think this is a team that they could beat. Uh, set you loose on this, Jay. Really appreciate your time. The RSL's got a midweek game coming up Wednesday night, or Wednesday afternoon, really, uh, in Atlanta. Atlanta's normally strong, but this year they've just they're just outside the playoff picture, kind of fighting for to stay in the playoff picture in the Eastern Conference. Tell us about Atlanta United and what do you expect from that match. Yeah, Atlanta, another really, really talented team. Uh, you'll see Martinez, uh, five goals on the season. You know, he's he's coming. Uh, he's he's full back from from the ACL injury that he had a little bit ago. Um, but you know, it's a team with with Cineros as well. Uh, nine goals between the two of them up top. Uh, but you also have Almeida who can sit in the middle of the park. So this team is very, uh, very, very talented. It hasn't turned into points. Um, but this is a this is a very good team and especially a hard place to play uh, at Mercedes in in Atlanta. Uh, but it'll be fun for the RSL players again to see Brooks Lennon, who, who's been playing really well with them. Uh, I think he's he's played um, 14 games with them this season, so one of the most throughout the group. Um, but this will be a tough match. I, Atlanta's a team that likes to open up. They like to play. They go with pace. They're kind of a two way team. So if RSL can't keep up with them, uh, if Atlanta gets rolling, it's a team that can score in bunches. 
uh, and it can get away from you uh, when when you're away in, in Atlanta. So this is a team that I think is going to be tough to play against, especially midweek. Uh, to probably travel out on on Monday or Tuesday uh, to get some results after uh, a big test tonight against Colorado. So hopefully get a good result tonight against Colorado. Uh, head with some momentum because uh, it doesn't look like you'll get Justin Glad back on Wednesday. You could uh, don't don't expect to see him tonight. Um, so we'll see how that partnership with with Kappelhoff and Silva happens tonight because that may have to carry over into Atlanta. Well, thank you so much, Jay. That's Jay Nolly, uh, ESPN 700 RSL analyst. Uh, have a good rest of your weekend. Have a good cold night. Yeah, thanks, guys. Have a good show. Thanks, Jay. Yeah, Jay Nolly, uh, one of our favorites here, one of, one of RSL, the RSL fan base's favorites as well, been doing a great job with Bill Riley over the years calling those games. You can hear him alongside the voice of RSL, Bill Riley, uh, tonight as they take on the Colorado Rapids and the Rocky Mountain rivalry, going for another Rocky Mountain Cup tonight at the Riot. Pre-game at 7, kick at 8, right here on ESPN 700. Really appreciate uh, Jay's time today. Uh, on the other side, as we, got, we do have to head to a break here, PGA Tour leaderboard update brought to you by our friends at the Salt Lake City Golf Courses. And there's actually a couple different tournaments going on. We got the the Barbasol Championship, and then the uh, Genesis Open, Genesis Scottish Open, over in Scotland. A couple of bigger tournaments happening. So we'll get you updated on those and more coming up next. You're listening to Sports Saturday with James Peterson and Bryce Larson on Utah's number one sports talk, ESPN 700. Welcome back to Sports Saturday. James Peterson, Bryce Larson behind the mics here in the beautiful Broadway media studios, the Valley Collision Studio of ESPN 700 here in downtown Salt Lake City. Hopefully you're enjoying your weekend, enjoying the as, as best you can the warm su- summer weather, or maybe you're inside trying to get away from it. Appreciate you listening to us. Want to give you a some... Golf leaderboard updates, a couple of PGA Tour ones, and then we got the American Century Celebrity Tournament that I'm going to have Bryce update on, update us on uh, in a little bit here. But first, I want to talk about the uh, the Barbasol Championship. This one, not that many big names in this one. We got uh, Matthias Schmid leading that one at 16 under, and... Max McGreevy, that's that's a recognizable name, tied for first as well at 16 under. And let's see, a couple more names for you here. A couple guys tied at at 15 under for for third place there. Ricardo Guiva, 15 under, and the Canadian Adam Svensson, also at 15 under, and then. Tied for fifth is Trey Mullinax, another American, uh, at 14 under. So that's the, that's your update from the uh, Keen Trace Golf Club in in the Barbasol Championship going on right now. Uh, some of the bigger names are actually competing in the Genesis Scottish Open. And pull up that leaderboard here. Going on in uh, North Berwick, Scotland as they prepare for the Open Championship, the British Open. Rafa Cabrera-Bello, good to see a 
a different Rafa in, in championship contention here, another Spaniard in a different sport, still in championship contention. Uh, he's at six under, tied for first with Xander Shoffley and Cameron Tringali, a couple of Americans there. And then Ryan Palmer is tied for fourth at five under, just one shot back. Uh, tied for fifth, Jordan Spieth and Kurt Kitayama at four under, just a couple shots back. So the Americans doing really well in the uh, Genesis Open, but it's Rafa Cabrera-Bello leading uh, at the top of the leaderboard at six under par. And then let's not forget about the celebrity tournament going on. Guys like Steph Curry competing, Tony Romo, and others. Bryce, what's going on at the American Century Championship? Yeah, TJ Oshie, the winger for the Washington Capitals, is leading right now. Uh, just behind him, Mark Boulder, the former Southpaw pitcher for the um, the A's and the Angels. Um, and then in third, um, Annika Sorenstam, the Swedish golfer. Yeah, the, who played I, in the Masters. Yeah, had to had to educate Bryce on her a little bit. I, she yeah, I might know. be I'm too young. She, she very well might be the greatest women's golfer of all time. She's she's on the short list. Dominated the LPGA about the same time that Tiger was dominating the PGA and the men's tour. And she was the first woman since 1945 to play in a PGA uh, tour event uh, in 2003 when she played the Colonial. And I believe she's the first woman to play in the Masters. If she wasn't the first, she's she was the first in a long time and one of the one of the first to do it. So anyway, yeah. go, continue. <laughs> well, a uh, couple of football players, T8 right now, Marshall Falk, Carson Palmer, uh, Tony Romo, and Adam Thielen are all T8 as well. Um, How's Steph doing? Steph How far Curry down is, is he? Is 19th right now. Okay. Um, and then Del Curry is T23 as well. So Okay. Yeah, so some family bragging rights going on there. Maybe they may not win the tournament, but they can, uh, they can, they can play for some bragging rights to see if Pops is better than, than the son there in golf. Uh, with Dell and and Steph Curry, so that that's a fun tournament. Uh, Steph Curry's in the field as well. He's T sixty four. Okay, moment, so, so. He, he okay, so they got so Steph and Dell can probably give him some nice ribbing about how far back he is. But yeah, the Curry's in on the course in the American Century Championship. That's a fun one. Uh, that is your PGA Tour and others uh, leaderboard update. Brought to you by SLC Golf. Uh, book your tee times today on the SLC Golf app, and you can you can go on the app and, and get all the information and, and get a list of all the great Salt Lake City golf courses as well. We really appreciate their support. Coming up, the power structure of college football is in a state of complete and utter chaos right now, Bryce. Salt Lake Tribune's Utah beat writer Josh Newman will help us sort it all out next. You're listening to Sports Saturday with James Peterson and Bryce Larson on Utah's number one sports talk and home of the Utes, ESPN 700. What is going on in college football and college sports realignment, Bryce? It's it's maddening and it's uh, it's dizzying. I heard Bill say, and, and some of his uh, some of our listeners say this week, it's dizzying trying to think about it for sure. I can't imagine what it's been like for someone like 
Josh Newman, who's been trying to have a vacation this week throughout all this. Josh, welcome to the show. How's your vacation going? Oh, vacation went down the toilet. <laughs> Probably Tuesday morning. I had a great holiday weekend with the fam and then woke up Tuesday and uh, kind of in the back of my mind knew that it wasn't going to be a real relaxing yeah. week, you know, just based on what's going on. But look, I'm in the media. I cover a Power 5 athletic department. This is kind of what we sign up for. Sometimes it, it just doesn't go your way, so here we are. Yeah, and I also wanted to ask you, how many Twitter apologies you've gotten? Uh, what's the tally <laughs> up to? I saw your tweet yesterday about the about ESPN basically concurring with your report. Yeah, I'm just glad that I, I could I could uh, make friends with more people in Provo. <laughs> that's you know that's generally that's generally my goal. So I I, I accomplished that goal yesterday. So I'm good with that. Nice. Well, hey. Get down to business here. I want to seriously want to start asking you about those rumors. The the Big Twelve, even though you reported that they're tethered to the Pac twelve that Utah's tethered to the Pac twelve right now, that doesn't mean they won't eventually leave the conference, right? It feels like everything is still up in the air. So right now, what do you feel the likelihood is that Utah leaves the Pac twelve in the next couple of years or for for a different conference, be it the Big Twelve or otherwise? Yeah, that's a great question. Look, let me just start out by saying, as you alluded to, James, everything is constantly fluid. There's nothing in stone. You know, there's a lot of moving parts. Nothing is nothing is etched in stone. And I think people need to remember that, that, you know, what's going on one day, it could change hour by hour, day by day. So let me, you know, so let me start with that. Um, you know, look, trying to, trying to gauge what's going to happen in a year, two years, that's, uh, quite literally impossible from a Utah perspective. I mean, look, where we are right now, the Pac-12, obviously, as we all know, lost you know, the L.A. market, right? They lost USC. They lost UCLA. So then it turned into a matter of what is George Klyavkov, uh, the commissioner of the Pac-12, going to do? What do the chancellors and presidents of the 10 remaining Pac-12 schools want to do? Where we sit, <clears throat> excuse me, where we sit right now on, on, on this Saturday morning about 10 days after this news broke, the 10 remaining members of the conference, uh, as of right now, are committed to staying together and you know, seeing what the next TV deal looks like. They want to remain together. Might they raid the Mountain West to get back to 12? Might they try to raid you know, the American or the Big 12? All of those things are on the table. But what has been made clear to me as this week went along is that, again, the 10 remaining members are committed to trying to stay together. Now, does that mean that in a year or two years, the Big Ten won't call Oregon or Washington? No. Does that mean that Utah and Arizona and Arizona State and Colorado are not intrigued by the Big 12? Have, have there been you know, uh, back-channel conversations? Yes. Everybody is working in their own best interest. That, you know, that means you know, Mark Harlan, the AD at Utah, and Rick George at Colorado, and on down the line. Everybody is working in their individual best interest, but with the notion that they all want to stick together. They all want to try to see this thing through. So, you know, trying to gauge where this is going to go in a year, two years, pretty impossible. But uh, a, a great many things are still on the table, whether we're talking about Monday or next month or next year. It, it's very hard to gauge where this thing might go. Josh, uh, who, who do we blame for uh, this fallout in the Pac-12? Because last year, George Klyovkov could have went out and tried to expand the Pac-12. We don't know if that would have kept the two teams in USC and UCLA. 
Or is it more of Larry Scott's fault who negotiated a pretty bad grant of rights deal a while back? Um, where are we placing the blame for this, what's going on in the Pac-12? Yeah, I mean, I wrote right after this news broke that, you know, there is enough blame to go around. I think you can blame both of those men. Um, I think it's pretty clear and, uh, and obvious uh, and well-documented that Larry Scott put the Pac-12 on, on this path. Um, look, he agreed to a 12-year a deal. Um, we're talking, you know, that's a long deal. That's a long time ago. Uh, that deal, as it went on, became more and more antiquated. And, you know, the Big Ten Network showed up and the SEC Network. And, uh, you know, these, you know, they just lapped the Pac-12 in terms of money, right? The Big, the big Ten schools are getting $50, 55000000 million a year. Uh, the Pac-12 is lagging behind. So that's, you know, that's a big part of Larry Scott's legacy is, is this TV deal and how bad it's been um, for his conference members. Um, I, I, again, I wrote about this, the, you know, I led with, yeah, George Klyavkov, you know, walking in the door last year, uh, got some good early marks from, you know, from the ADs. He was effective, but he had the opportunity to, you know, the big 12 lost Texas and Oklahoma. The league was in a, um, a wait and see approach. They were flailing, so to speak. And, you know, they, you know, the Pac-12 had the opportunity to maybe, absorb some of the big 12 uh maybe take all of the remaining eight teams and then you're sitting there with a 20 team conference between the pac 12 and the big 12 uh maybe maybe ucla and usc leave anyway but even if you had merged and you lose those two schools you're still sitting at 18 teams and you're in a pretty advantageous position but george klyovkov went with the alliance uh with the big 10 and the acc he opted for stability he voted against the new college football playoff proposal, you know, and the fact that he did that is now getting crushed a year later, seeing where the Pac-12 is. So who do you want to blame? I mean, yeah, clearly you blame Larry Scott. Uh, I do think there is some blame to be had uh, from George Klyavkov. I think a little bit of an underrated part of that is USC, its athletic department has kind of been a mess for the last decade. That hasn't helped. Uh, UCLA, uh, that athletic department has an absurd amount of debt. Uh, the LA Times reported this week that over a three-year period, UCLA accrued, I think it, I think it was $102 million worth of debt within, a, within its athletic department. I think if those two schools were on better standing, uh, respectively, you know, that, that would have helped this cause. But look, there's plenty of blame to go around. Larry Scott, George Klyopkov, the two schools. Yeah, there's been a lot of reasons why, you know, wh- why we are where we are right now. You mentioned the uh, media, the old meteorites deal. They're, they've begun negotiations on the new one, Josh. Uh, what have you heard about that? What's the latest on the on the negotiations for the new meteorites deal? That I mean, going into Klyavkov's ten, tenure, that was the headline. Hey, this is why we're this is why we're hiring Klyavkov. So how's that going? <clears throat> it's not going to be Fox. I, I think that's been made pretty clear. Uh, it seems to me like ESPN is going to, you know, come up with a number and they're going to, you know, they're going to get the primary rights, which, you know, that's not anything new. Uh, George Klyovkov has said time and time again that he believes with this next round of negotiations that the primary rights would still land on regular TV. Like, right, we saw MLS signs an exclusive streaming rights deal with Apple. Okay, it's not going to be like that for the Pac-12. So the plan all along was to get 
the primary rights on regular TV. And then we're going to see where it goes. I mean, we've heard all about this, you know, this, quote, loose partnership with the ACC, uh, you know, potentially, which is all about TV money and, uh, and upping your worth, um, getting more money through this next uh, negotiation period. So uh, it's probably going to end up being something to do with ESPN, something significant to do with ESPN. And then we'll see where the secondary, uh, you know, the secondary rights land, because obviously the secondary rights are also very important because the secondary rights holder is also going to be airing a lot of Pac-12 athletics. So you have to take care of the primary, but you also have to take care of uh, uh, the secondary rights also. Josh, what's the uh, best and worst case scenarios for Utah? Um, is it staying in the Pac-12, moving to the Big 12? What are your thoughts there? That's another thing where it's like, you know, it's, it's hard to gauge, and I don't want to, like, I don't want to cop out, but it really is, like, changing, and it's fluid, and, you know, best case is kind of, you know, beauty is in the, is in the eye of, of the beholder, so to speak. I think right now, short term, and again, my opinion as a, as a media member, as a reporter, is also changing every day. So I, I sit here this morning, and yeah, I think, I think your best bet is to continue to stick together, the 10 members, including Oregon, including Washington, um, work in lockstep, try to, try to save the league. And yeah, if you have to go out and poach somebody, uh, or try to poach somebody anyway, yeah, I think, that is the, I think that is the best case scenario. Now, the worst case scenario, that to me is, yeah, we're thinking a few years down the line, right? Um, the SEC, the Big Ten, whoever becomes number three, whatever that looks like, those are your, quote, super conferences, right? Those are your 40, 50, 60 teams between the three conferences that the TV networks and the decision makers deem as viable. The worst case scenario is that Utah is on the outside looking in on that. But again, as this week has gone on, talking to more people, getting a better understanding of what we're looking at here, I don't think Utah is going to be on the outside looking in when this is all said and done. Whatever happens, Utah is a uh, increasingly viable product for the TV networks. Look, it's like the 34th or, or 36th ranked TV market in the United States, but it's but it's growing, and the interest is growing, and that's good. And furthermore, I think Mark Harlan is is too connected and and too savvy, and quite quite frankly, cares too much to allow his athletic department to be uh, on the outside looking in years down the road. I wanted to get back to something you've been bringing up about just how hard it is to trust all the information we're hearing, all the rumors that are flying around, and hard, how hard it is to forecast this kind of thing. Um, we had that swim, swim Swam report that came out this week about the big bunch of big ACC schools, including Clemson and Florida State, going to the SEC. After that story broke, I saw you tweeted that journalists and media need to be more selective on what they aggregate. Um, what is it about conference realignment and expansion in particular that makes it so you can't completely trust everything you hear, even if it's a reputable journalist or outlet? I mean, the Swim Slam guy, he's a verified on Twitter. I mean, that's a guy that normally you're like, okay, he's probably got a good source, but because of these circumstances, it's just really hard to trust what you hear, right? It is. It is. The thing that people have to remember about college realignment is that, like, from a Utah perspective, just for example, like Kyle Whittingham is not making any decisions right now. Position coaches who some media members in, in, a, in our market may use as sources, 
those guys don't know what's going on either. College realignment is a strictly president's, chancellor's level um, decision making. And the AD has a voice in the room. The AD is probably ultimately not making the decision, but the AD has a voice in the room. So you're talking about a very small, select group of people who know what's going on, or at least has an inkling of what's going on. So, yeah, we all piled on swim, uh, swim, swam. We all goofed around. We had a laugh. I don't know that dude. I don't know what, I don't know who his sources are. His reporting seemed, I don't know, a little light if you click on it. Uh, there, are, you know, there were some national writers this week, no names, but people reported things. I think, I think the general Joe average fan, so to speak, is willing to take the national writers at face value. There was definitely a national writer or three or four that had some pretty light reporting that turned out to be not accurate this week. So uh, I think there's a lesson in there for everybody, myself included. I'm, I'm, I'm not, you know, uh, I'm guilty of this too. You need to really be, you know, don't just read the headline. Let's, you know, let's click on it. Let's read it. Let's evaluate it. Uh, this was a tough week for journalism in that respect. And I understand, like, people are very emotional. They want answers. Uh, people are invested in Utah football. They care. They want to see Utah do well. So people are, um, not just at Utah, but all over the country, people are grasping at, at just any piece of information, whether it's from a verified account, a non-verified account, a national writer, the local hack writer like myself. Uh, from a journalism standpoint, from a, from a fan journalism media standpoint, it was a, it was a bit of a tough week for everybody. Uh, Josh, have you been able to gauge Utah's fan base to to be able to tell where the fans want Utah to end up? I know that there's been a lot of talk of of them, like there's been a lot of talk of renewing the rivalry with BYU. Is that something that fans are interested in doing? What's what's the gauge that you have there on the fan base? Yeah, I mean, James, you know this. I mean, I I, I do try to. Um interact with fans on, on Twitter. I, I think it's important to take the temperature of the fan base and, and pay attention to what fans are, are talking about. It is honestly, it is a very wide swath of like opinions. Um, some fans want the Pac-12 to survive. Some fans want the, you know, want Utah to go to the big 12. Some fans are adamant that Utah belongs in, in the big 10, which is kind of ridiculous, but that's what they're saying. Uh, people think that George Klyovkov is, incompetent and Mark Harlan this and that it's, it's a, you know there's a very wide range of opinions um, but again that kind of goes back to yeah fans are invested and fans care and fans want Utah to be in the best possible landing spot whatever you know you me whatever people deem that to be they just want Utah football to be okay right I think I'll tell you this there is there is absolutely a fear that Utah somehow winds up in a very watered down Pac-12 or some, you know, bastardized version of the Mountain West. That is absolutely a fear that after years and years of being in the WAC and being in the Mountain West, and now you're in the Pac-12, and now you've gotten to the point where you're winning the Pac-12 and you're getting to a Rose Bowl, and people are talking about the college football playoff this fall. There's absolutely a fear among a big number of fans that Utah football will eventually go backwards and no longer be, you know, a viable college football player. 
how uh, how realistic do you think that is? Because honestly, I feel like what they've done, particularly in the last five to seven years, really in in the Britain Covey era, if you will, of Utah football, I feel like that they have graduated from that, and that there's really they've gotten to the point of no return uh, in that regard. That's just my feeling with it, but. Someone who's you're you're a lot closer to things as far as uh, college football goes. Do you think that that's accurate? Do you think that, or do you think there really is a chance that they could go backwards here if things go really south with the Pac-12? James, you're breaking up a, a little bit. Can oh, you just repeat that last? Yeah. Part? Uh, so, do you think it's realistic that they could really go backwards, like you're saying, or do you think that they've kind of graduated past that point of of being of being at risk of going back to group of five status. Oh, got it. Yeah, no, uh, I, I would agree with the notion that uh, that Utah has graduated, so to speak. Um, again, you've kind of um, ascended to this point where, you know, you are a power five contender. Uh, they've been to three of the last four Pac-12 championship games. We all know that they got over the hump, finally won it last year, uh, went to a Rose Bowl. They were a player, too, from winning a Rose Bowl. Um, and, yeah, and again, I, I I do think Mark Harlan is, is one of the you know one of the savvier, more connected ads in this part of the country. You have a president now in Taylor Randall that um, that you know that wants to see athletics do well. He sees the value in athletics um, and major college football, and that's not always the case at the presidential level. Um, at this level of college athletics, you know Taylor Randall's predecessor. Did not so much care for athletics, so it's 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 in Utah's favor that Taylor Randall is a is a fan of athletics because again, this is a president chancellor situation, and it's good that Taylor Randall is who he is. Um, as I said earlier, I I really don't see a way, and again, everything's fluid, things can change, but I I just don't see a way how Utah does not come out okay in this. Um, look, you won't be an SEC member. It's highly, highly, highly unlikely that Utah ever lands in the Big Ten. But whatever happens with the Pac-12 and the Big 12 and morphing and TV markets and figuring it out, like Utah is on the board. Utah is a wanted, known commodity. I don't see how Utah goes backwards and, and, and winds up Group of Five status. That's, and I've thought a lot about that this week, you know, thinking about scenarios and what it is and what it could be. I just don't see how Utah goes backwards. I, I can I can almost promise Utah fans that at least. Josh, we're about fifty six days until Utah heads down to Florida. Um, what are some of the questions um, that you still have about this team? Some of the spots they need to shore up to be able to uh, go into SEC country and, and compete and hopefully come away with a win. Yeah, I mean, look, same same position stuff that I've been thinking about since. Since spring ended, uh, you know, look, the wide receiver room still feels a, a little light. Um, is Devon Valet, you know, your number one receiver? Yeah, he, he's shown flashes and he's got the size and he's got the intangibles. And he's, yeah, he, he's capable, but he's never been asked to, to do that before. Like, is he going to walk into the swamp on September 3rd and, and catch eight passes from rising? I don't know. Capable, yes, but I just don't know because he, he's never done it before. The depth behind Valet, yeah, guys are a little green. I have questions, but the good news is you have Brand Keith, you have Dalton Kincaid at tight end, you've got Tavion Thomas. So as as all as is always the case at Utah, you can probably get away with a little less receiver depth because of who your tight ends are and your offensive line 
in front of Tavion Thomas, that'll be fine. Uh, linebacker situation, you look, you don't just replace Devin Lloyd. You don't just replace Nephi Sewell. That is one of the deeper position rooms on the roster. But again, you have guys who are pretty green. Okay, Kareni Reed played a bunch last year. That's one piece of the puzzle. Like, is 18-year-old Lander Barton going to walk into the swamp and make a huge impact? They're going to – they need him to play, so that's another factor. And then – so you have wide receiver, you have linebacker, and then the one other position that's been on my mind um, is cornerback. Okay, we know Clark Phillips. Uh, J.T. Brockton is, you know, all Pac-12 kid uh, in 2020. He's healthy now coming off the shoulder. Okay, so it's Phillips. Brockton outside, uh, it's Malone Mata LA inside, but what does the depth look like beyond those three guys? Okay, Fabian Marks and um, uh, Zamaya Vaughn are expected to be healthy and ready for camp after some late season injuries last year. So, uh, yeah, those are just a few things on my mind, but the good news is nothing that I, nothing that I just spoke about is, is dire. Like, there's depth, yeah, there's some inexperience, but that's why you have spring ball, that's why you have your summer program, that's why you have camp. Um, but these kids who are green, who don't have a ton of experience, they're going immediately into the deep end on September 3rd, right? We're not opening with Weber State or, or Southern Utah or some group of five school. Like, this is a for real, for real opener and the type of opener that is going to dictate the road that, you know, that your season takes. So uh, plenty of intrigue, plenty of stuff to get into. Uh, and me personally, I, I'm very much looking forward to camp starting so we can start to get some answers. Absolutely. Hey, Josh, we really appreciate you coming on, giving us all the insight about all this realignment chaos. Hopefully the dust will settle soon so we can uh, so we can get our bearings straight here and, and get an idea of how things will be power structure-wise in college football. But have a good rest of your weekend and try to salvage whatever uh, <laughs> part of your vacation you have left there. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. All right, that's Josh Newman, one of our favorites, Salt Lake Tribune, uh, University of Utah beat writer, always delivers, whether it's on Twitter, radio, in, in print, his, his main, his primary job, if you will, if you're not subscribe, a subscriber to the Salt Lake Tribune, uh, please do, and uh, so you can get access to all of uh, Josh Newman's uh, stuff. Also follow him on Twitter, Joshua underscore Newman. Uh, we're going to continue this realignment conversation, Bryce, because we need more than one segment to sort all this out ourselves, I feel like. Yes, we do. Um, so we'll continue that next. We'll talk about I want one thing that I don't think has gotten enough attention is the Big 12 here. The, the current teams in the Big 12, including BYU and the, and the uh, former AAC schools that are going to join next year, how should they be feeling about all this? It feels stable, but is anything stable right now? And how should and how should uh, BYU and uh, the rest of the current Big Twelve be feeling about all this realignment chaos? And we'll and we'll talk some more about react to what uh, we heard from Josh just now as well. That's coming up on the other side. This is Sports Saturday. That's Bryce Larson. I'm James Peterson on Utah's number one sports talk and home of the Utes, ESPN seven hundred. Dizzying, all this realignment chaotic. conversation, chaotic, still 
all up in the air too, Bryce. We're gonna we just had uh, Josh Newman from the Salt Lake Tribune on, giving us all kinds of great insight on where Utah stands currently, where the Pac-12 is currently. He how he kind of forecasting what he thinks might happen because no one knows what will happen. <laughs> or I don't even know if anyone and Josh didn't even seem to have a good idea of what he think what he thinks will happen. Uh, I don't know that anyone does, uh, just because it's it's that up in the air with everything. So we wanted to take this segment to continue that conversation. You're listening to Sports Saturday. You're on ESPN 700. James Peterson and Bryce Larson with you. Olivia Benyon behind the glass. Um, going for another about another half hour here on this Saturday. Um, let so let's let's dig in deeper to this. I wanted to react to some of what Josh said. Uh, I want to start out with this. We kind of ended with on this with Josh, and we just barely in the break off air. We're talking about this, Bryce. Um, it feels like whether you're a Utah fan or a BYU fan, your 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 head's scrambling a little bit with all the possibilities. Right, you're going okay. How can we stay relevant? And you're also worried that we can maybe get demoted so to speak back to group of five status um i personally feel like if if one of utah or byu if that's going to happen to one of utah or byu i feel like it's more likely to happen to byu because they because byu has yet to get to to a power five conference they will be next year finally and and utah has not only been in one for over a decade they have now won a Power 5 Conference Championship, the Pac-12 Championship last year. They've been to three of the past four Pac-12 Championships, and, and their national brand has grown as a as a result of that. Um, now, the other sports, the other revenue sports, the men's basketball hasn't ha- quite had that same success, but football is really what matters in all this. The reason why this is a college football conversation, even though it technically affects all of college athletics, Um so I don't know. I I kind of seem like Utah, and I, and Josh seemed to agree with me. I feel like we use the word graduated. I feel like they've graduated from Group of Five status, um, and no, no matter what happens with this, they're not going to be back in the Mountain West. They're not going to be an independent. They're not going to be, uh, you know, uh, in the American or anything else. They'll find themselves in one of the one of the top power structures, whatever conference that is. Um, won all the dust settles with this but and and I think BYU will too I just think if we're if we're gauging likelihood of it happening I think it's more likely that BYU gets left out Um, what do you think about that Um, I would say I think it's more 50 50 I think there's an equal opportunity chance and the reason why is because sadly college football is not about what you have done in the past Right, it's what value do you bring to me in the future? And Josh made a good point that the Salt Lake market is growing, and that's what they're looking towards. But if you are, say the pack, let's say the Pac-12 sticks together, they keep Oregon, Washington, Utah. Um, they're at ten teams, and then the Big Twelve. Look, the race is for third, right? Yeah. You want to be the third best at that point. The ACC with Clemson. And if Notre Dame sticks with their part-time membership in the ACC, ACC's third best conference in the nation. And 
if that happens, they're going to go to more of like the Big Ten, the SEC are going to try and close everybody out. The ACC is the only one that's going to kind of be able to compete with them. And when that happens, like the rest are kind of going to get forgotten about. And the, and the reason why this is important is because in 2024-25, they're supposed to re, like redo the playoff expansion. They're supposed to take a look at playoff expansion. And if that goes poorly, um, these the Pac-12 and the Big 12 could be on the outside looking in, right? Yeah, and, and I I don't disagree that that's a that's a distinct possibility that both that both of those conferences could be left out of things. I just I just feel like no matter what happens, and I and I think this way about BYU too. No matter what happens, Utah's going to end up in one of those three. Maybe there's a fourth power conference but it, I, I agree with you it seems like it's probably going to be three with how big the big 10 and the sec are have, are getting uh adding two more teams uh to their conferences in, in, in a couple years here um i would i wouldn't be worried about utah and i wouldn't be worried if i'm byu i, I just think i i might i think there's a little bit more reason to worry uh, if you're BYU, despite what you're saying about it's not about what it's on the field, I think Utah has um, more so than BYU. I think they have proven the off-the-field worth a little bit more than BYU has. Um, and and I also think BYU's done enough to do that. Let's, I mean, if you talk about Josh's point about the Salt Lake uh, market, I mean, even though they're in Provo, BYU has the Salt Lake market too that yeah. makes it attractive they, because they of the fan base throughout the state wide. and throughout the nation, yeah. right? Um, That's so, why independence was somewhat doable. For yeah, BYU. exactly. So I think I think they're they're on equal footing as far as market why the why the market is uh, is attractive to these big conferences. Um, I just think. Maybe Utah has proven a little bit more than BYU has, just because they've had the advantage of of being among the best so far. You bring up how that doesn't necessarily matter because Oregon State has has been among those teams too, and Washington State has too, and they they could very well be on the outside looking in here. I Oregon State and Washington State. I mean, Washington maybe back in the '90s they had a sustain this kind of sustained run of success that Utah has and and right that they're doing right now. But since then, not really. I mean, Mike Leach had they had a good run under, under Mike Leach, but it wasn't quite this kind of run of success. Oregon State maybe has never had this kind of thing. It's been a minute. Yeah, and um, they just lost to Utah State. Right. So, so I just think that I I don't know that. Uh, I don't know that that's a, a, an apples to apples comparison with things. So I don't know. I I'll be clear about it again. I think I think both Utah and BYU fans don't really have anything to worry about as far as that goes. I would just I kind of lean towards Utah being in a better position than BYU when it comes to maybe getting in a better conference when this all settles down. But you know what? There's a distinct possibility they might be in the same conference again. Yeah. So, I and mean, that's, in my yeah. opinion, that's best case scenario for both schools. Yeah, and and that's a perfect segue. We wanted to talk about this. We asked Josh about this. 
what do we feel like is the best case scenario with, specifically for Utah uh, when all this happens, assuming that BYU just stays in the Big 12 when all the dust settles? What's, what do you think is the best outcome? We've got re- there's really only there's really about three right now that seem uh, that that seem somewhat likely. The most likely seems to be they're staying in the Pac-12. They'd be a top dog in a notable conference. How notable? Well, it's <laughs> yet to see after all this, but but still going to be a notable conference, and they will have a chance if they stay. If Oregon stays, then they'll have competition. They'll have competition there as for who's going to win the conference. But um, they'd have a distinct advantage still at, at being the best in the conference. Or option two, go to the Big Twelve, potentially be more viable nationally because it almost feels like. The Big 12 is heading that is going to be heading that way uh, here, and still a good chance to remain a top dog in your conference because there's not after, since Oklahoma in particular, and, and also Texas leading, but Oklahoma in particular leading that conference feels wide open. And Baylor looks like they're poised to take it, but Utah is a team that looks like they can compete with the likes of Baylor. Um, or uh, Josh called this option ridiculous. Um, but it's somewhat realistic that maybe they could be invited to go to the Big Ten at some point, um, guaranteed to be national vi- nationally viable. If you win, if you win, you can you guaranteed to make more money. And uh, as you see, as USC and UCLA are set to make about over seventy million dollars annually when they join the Big Ten versus. They're projecting may at best for over forty million annually with this new Pac-12 rights deal, um, but the downside is you're likely to be buried in the middle of the pack in that kind of a conference because as good as Utah has been, they're not at the level of Ohio State, they're not at the level of a Michigan, Penn State, so you won't be the top dog. Um, and then the other option is maybe. ACC, who knows? That's been thrown out there as well. So your best, the best possible outcome for Utah is what out of those choices? Or maybe maybe it's something else that I didn't name, Bryce. Yeah, best case scenario, I think um, you kind of have a, a not, I'm not going to call it a merger, but if the Big 12 were to go in and add teams from the Pac-12, um, if you can get Oregon, Washington, Utah, and then the Arizona schools, we don't even care about Colorado. Yeah, don't Colorado. Care about like Colorado. You have the mountain time zone. You don't need Colorado. So go and add a couple schools from the Pac-12. And automatically with those schools, the Big 12 becomes that third best conference, in my opinion. Even if Notre Dame like, and Clemson decide to st- stick with the ACC, I think that the Big 12 can surpass them as – the third best conference and then you have an argument for being part of the you know you have a seat at the table you're part of yeah, the party part of the new playoff part of the the, the power structure of college football and yeah. at the same time you're also renewing a rivalry with not just and you're not playing it at the beginning of the year you're talking the last week in november yeah it could be you're playing talking could be playing for big 12 championships yep yep you're talking major implications bowl implications all of the above, at this point, as much as BYU and Utah fans hate to hear it, they need each other. It's time to come back and 
join the same conference and we're going to be able to have it it'll be a top 10 rivalry in the country if it's if it has playoff implications and and power 5 or Power three, power at that, three at that point. Super conference, whatever, <laughs> whatever new term we're gonna have to yeah. come up with after all this for sure. I I agree with you. I think, and I don't know. It doesn't seem like Utah fans are on board with with the rivalry getting back to what the way it was. I don't really understand that. It's yeah, I don't know. rivalries are probably the best thing about college I'm sure athletics texas and texas a&m weren't on board with it either but look at where we're at now yeah um so i i don't really quite understand that mindset i think rivalries are the best part of college athletics particularly college football and if you can if you have a chance to up the ante on your rivalry and make it have big time national implications on it instead of just preseason bragging rights or non-conference bragging rights i mean why wouldn't you do that so i I think that would be a great thing, not just for the rivalry, but for Utah and BYU football, for college football as a whole, to get an, a storied rivalry back on track playing for potentially Big 12 championships, right? It, or or if the Pac-12 absorbs the Big 12, Pac-12 championships, whatever happens there, I think that would be a, a great outcome. I think obviously uh, financially and from a – stability standpoint if you can get invited if the big 10 does somehow say hey yeah we want to invite utah i mean you say yes to that yeah that's obviously the best outcome um the only thing is the only downside is on the field because right now you got a great thing going and i think that's the best thing for the fans um fans don't it doesn't make much of a difference how financially stable your favorite college football program is if you're winning, you're excited as a fan. I mean, we just heard we just heard Josh talk about the shambles that UCLA's athletic department was in. But when they were in the Final Four two years ago in Indianapolis, uh, I think Pac-12 and, and UCLA fans weren't thinking about, oh my gosh, I, this sucks that we're a hundred million dollars yeah, in debt. They that's were thinking, not their yeah, they were thinking, how great is it that we're in the champ or we're in the Final Four? Uh, for crying out loud, so. I think that uh, I think that the best outcome for Utah from a fan perspective is is staying in the Pac-12 and the and the Pac-12 being able to stabilize itself and stay viable nationally, or going to the Big 12 or, or being part of a Big 12 Pac-12 merger, whatever whatever happens there, because that would allow you to stay relevant nationally, stay in the playoff uh, conversation. If you're if you win those conferences, and you'd have a realistic shot of winning that conference, you would not have a realistic shot of winning the Big Ten. Right. Uh, unfortunately, that's just if you're thinking that you would be, you're delusional. Unfortunately, yeah. that's you're not Ohio State. <laughs> yeah. So now I would I would just say for the Utah fans that are thinking that going to the Big Twelve or the SEC is a good idea. Just take a look at Nebraska and Missouri. Yeah. All right. What happened when Nebraska and Missouri left their conferences to go to the Big Ten and the SEC? And look at what has happened since then, right? They left their recruiting grounds. They were dominant, pretty dominant. 
Yeah, in, n- Nebraska, not Nebraska. as much, but yeah, yeah, they they they, uh, they had a chance to stay competitive, right? And they had their regional rivalries. They had what you know, all of the above, but they left their recruiting grounds, and now they've gone to their respective conferences, and they haven't done anything since. Yeah, they're either they're either under five hundred or at best five hundred ball. So they sold out their college football. Um, what do you want to call it? Their college football competitiveness. Yeah. For the paycheck of the other conference, and they haven't been relevant since. Yeah. So it's you 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 look at it right now, and you think ah oh, that's not going to happen to us. But if you go to a conference where you are facing you know Michigan, Penn State, Ohio State every single week, or Alabama, Auburn, um, Florida every week. Why are recruits wanting to go play for Utah in that conference and get beat up on when they can go to Ohio State, they can go to Michigan, they can go to Penn State? For right? sure. Yeah, and and something else that got brought up is is the kind of foothold that Morgan Scally in particular in in the and the Utah coaching staff has had in Texas. I mean, imagine being in the Big 12. Imagine being able to be in the Big 12 and you're playing Baylor and and TCU and some of these other Texas schools and beating them. You got to think that you're just going to you're only going to strengthen that foothold in exactly. Texas and and recruiting-wise, that that could be a huge thing for Utah to be able to continue to stay competitive um in a viable you know power conference right so yeah i would say out of the three if you can't if the pac-12 can't stabilize itself joining the big 12 or some kind of pac-12 new pac-12 new big 12 merger type thing would be the best outcome for utah you're going to make more money not big 10 money but you're going to make more money and you're going to stay you're going to have a legitimate chance to win power conference championships and continue to uh, stay competitive on the field, which is which is ultimately the win for fans. Yep. Um, you, so you you please the the decision makers, the guys that are looking at all the financials, and the the uh, the presidents and the chancellors and the ads, and you please the fans by staying by being able to stay competitive and stay in that um, that power conference championship conversation and potentially playoff conversation. So I. I agree with you. I think that's the best outcome. Everything's on the table, though. We This is far from being settled. I've heard Bill Riley say on his show, the Bill Riley Show, the last couple weeks talking about uh, talking about all this. I've, I've heard him say, if you're expecting to hear something, hear big news in the next couple weeks, you're not being realistic. These kind of things often take years to come together. Um, and we're all, we're, we're going to be shocked about it no matter what, because the, as Josh Newman just told us, the room of the list of people who actually know something about this is very small. And so that's why we've had some kind of unreal, all these kind of unreliable rumors reports happening. And so just settle in, buckle up for the long haul, long haul here and, don't expect this. I mean, we're going to start this season, and this is still going to be uncertain. So once the season starts, just 
get back in the mindset of like let's enjoy some Utah and BYU football for BYU fans Joy as well, lasts. right? And let, let's just let's just cheer, let, turn the page and try to cheer on the teams and hope hope for a, a win every week, like like a regular college football season, because this is still likely to be up in the air when the college season starts. Don't let it ruin your college fandom for when the games are actually happening. Yeah, I agree with you. And one thing before we uh, go to break here, um, worst case scenario for college football and college athletics yeah. as a whole, um, if you want to say they go towards these two super conferences, um, the NCAA as a organization falls because they're losing their power yeah. anyway, and it's looking more and more likely. Um, and football breaks away from the college athletics model. Um, and and college football becomes kind of more of like a semi-professional league that kind of tries to rival the NFL. Number one, that's never a good idea to try and compete with the NFL. And then number two, something that nobody is really talking about, those 85 scholarships that are um, for football specifically um, are taken away from the schools um, and they kind of go towards a paid player model, that spells bad news for Title IX and women's sports as well. You yeah. take away 85 scholarships, they no, institutions no longer have to match those 85 scholarships for women's sports. There's a lot of women's sports getting cut as well. So that's worst-case scenario overall for that nobody's really talking about, which yeah. I find fascinating. Yeah, I mean, a lot of unintended consequences that could happen if that's the way things go and, and college football breaks away from the NCAA if there is an NCAA in yeah. the next coming years. Um, so just for sure. Yeah. Definitely something to, to pay attention to uh as we think about all this col- college realignment chaos. Uh, we do have to head to a break though. Coming up next, we're winding down the show. We'll wrap it up by looking ahead at the rest of the sports weekend. This is Sports Saturday on Utah's number one sports talk, ESPN seven hundred. Welcome back to Sports Saturday, ESPN 700, winding down what's been a great, another great show. It's been fun getting back in the air chair here with you, Bryce, after taking last week off. Um, if you missed anything, head to ESPN700sports.com. Check out our uh, conversation with Salt Lake Tribune, University of Utah beat writer Josh Newman about all this college football realignment, dizzying college football realignment chaos um he gave us some great perspective and insights on that and then we also talked with the uh, rsl radio analyst color analyst um jay nolly you'll get to hear him on the call tonight as rsl takes on colorado at rio tinto stadium tries to keep their un- their home unbeaten streak alive uh pregame at seven kick at eight I want to update you on uh, Wimbledon. The women's final is over. We have a women's champion. It's number 17, 17th seeded Alina Rybakina. Uh, She beat number three on Jabor in three sets uh, earlier this morning. It's it's Rybakina's first Grand Slam title. Congratulations to her. Uh, She she had a bit of an upset over uh, Simona Halep, who's a a two-time Wimbledon champion. 
uh, or I'm sorry, two-time Grand Slam champion, one-time Wimbledon champion, who looked poised to to win another one after Serena went down and and uh, some of the other top seeds went down. It looked like this was Halep had a chance to win another one, but Rybakina came out on top, and then she won earlier this morning. So congratulations to her. Uh, coming up tomorrow is the men's final. Number one, Novak Djokovic versus unseated Nick Kyrgios. The Joker going for his seventh Wimbledon title, 7 a.m. tomorrow on ESPN, if you want to wake up early and watch yeah. that, Bryce. Uh, tennis fans are kind of up in arms about that one, right? Yeah. the doll had to bow out of the uh, injury. I am – see, I've been – I've been a Rafa fan for a long time. Uh, I think I think men's tennis fans have started to align themselves, split themselves three way three ways here. You either have Federer fans, Rafa fans, or Djokovic fans. I've been a Rafa fan, so that that literally broke my heart to see yeah. him have to have to withdraw from the semifinals. Um, this would have been fantastic to see another Joker Rafa, uh, probably five set. Wimbledon classic of a final and the other thing the uh, insult to injury literal injury here is Rafa had has a really good chance of, of ha- at going for the calendar slam if he get if he had been able to get through this tournament and win Djokovic isn't able to play in the U.S. Open so he might have been the favorite going into the U.S. Open and would have had a real shot at that calendar slam and that's like once in a lifetime opportunity yeah. thing so that's another thing that just sucks about this injury but uh Kyrgios has been really good he's been a good up-and-coming guy this feels like Djokovic is going to come away with the title but Kyrgios is a guy who's capable of giving of giving him a good match so tennis fans 7 a.m tomorrow on ESPN the one, Joker one going more for a seventh uh, title one more tidbit about the women's side um on Jabor She's actually the first African woman to make it to a final. At oh, Wimbledon. I did from, not catch that. Yep, she's from Tunisia. So, Good shout for out her. to her. Yeah, on Jabor, that I mean, I was surprised. I, I after Halep went down, I was like, well, then Jabor's got this right. But unfortunately, for her, uh, Elena Rybakina came out on top, and congratulations to her once again. Then we got Sunday night baseball: Red Sox Yankees. That's right. The greatest rivalry in baseball, probably in sports. Uh, we'll have that for you tomorrow night here on ESPN 700. Coverage starting at 4 o'clock. Yankees look like, unfortunately for us Red, for Red Sox fans like me, they look like they look poised to uh, maybe win a World Series this year. I hate saying that. Maybe. Maybe. But they've had some puzzling losses, right? That's they've lost true. to the Pirates. They've lost. You Your know, Pirates. Yes, sadly. Um, but the thing is, though. The Astros are looking good as well. That's true. And the Yankees, whenever they get to the postseason, they always seem to struggle a little bit. So we'll see. Anything can happen is what I'm saying. Yeah. They might have the best record and possibly the best team, obviously. But uh, once you get to the playoffs, man, teams turn it on. Look what the Braves did last year. Yeah, for sure. So uh, that should be fun. Yankees might be looking at look, looking for the sweep because they won the first two of this series, and we'll see what happens today. Um, but they won the first two pretty handily. So uh, hopefully the Red Sox can uh, salvage at least a win here, if not a series split. Uh, I'm looking forward to RSL tonight. Pre-game at 7, kick at 8, going for the Rocky Mountain Cup. You can hear it here on ESPN 700. And, of course, I, 
I love watching. I love Wimbledon, but I love watching the Red Sox and Yankees even more. So I mean, those are the two things I'm looking forward to this weekend. I would have to agree. Um, what RSL and their ownership group has been doing, they've really created some FOMO around the program, around the franchise. Fear of missing out. If yes. That's not what you, you didn't know <laughs> what that is. So, um, yeah, I have some fear of missing out. I was thinking about making a pass at the RSL game tonight, so I might end up there um, playing against Colorado. Hopefully they, they get a win. Um, and then, of course, um, I'm not much of a tennis fan. I just know, like, little – bits and pieces about tennis so i'm gonna go with the yankees and red sox tomorrow as well all right well that's gonna do it for us we're way over time appreciate you listening i'm james peterson that's bryce larson signing off until next time this has been sports saturday on your home of the utes rsl and utah's number one sports talk espn 700 with lucky landslots you can get lucky just about anywhere dearly beloved we are gathered here today to has anyone seen the bride and groom Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.